I want to preach, and it's right to preach, and we should turn to God's word, but sometimes you just wish you had a bit longer. You know, just a fellowship with the Father. Cast your minds back to last week when Chris, Jude and Alan were singing the blessing to us. Do you remember that? During the praise service, wasn't it a lovely sound? Singing, them singing and hearing them singing the blessing over us. Well, can anyone remember that blessing off by heart? It's in the Bible, it's in number six, so we'll turn there in a minute. But can you, can you remember that blessing off by heart? We know Mike can, and he's probably saying it right now, whether he's watching cricket or rugby. Jude? Yes, it is, yeah. Okay, yeah, I think you share. Share one between you, Alan. Alan. Anyone else want to have a go? The, the ironic blessing? You remember it all? Great, yeah, go on, Jackie, what was it? It's, it, you got some of the words just in the wrong area. Yes. All right. You have some more opportunities to turn to Numbers chapter 6. Turn to Numbers chapter 6 and we'll see it in front of us. Numbers chapter 6, it's in the Old Testament. Is it the fifth book, fourth book? Fourth, fourth book, thanks, Wendy. Yeah. Right, Numbers 6, starting at verse 22, the priestly blessing. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now, first bit says, The Lord bless you. Now, that word blessing is the Hebrew word. Anyone know? Yeah, what's the Hebrew word for blessing? Yeah. Oop. Think, think president twice removed. <laughs> Remember Benny? Oh, I'll leave his shoe off. Okay, Barak. The word Barak is the word blessing. Now, you remember Benny from last time? You remember Benny helped me to teach about Dwelling in the in between the shoulders, whoever the Lord loves, dwells between the shoulders of the Almighty. Do you remember that? And Benny was in my uh, was in a baby carrier. Well, this morning, Benny is going to help me. Sit up, Benny. Is going to help me display Barak. Okay. Now, in Genesis, you don't have to turn them. In Genesis twenty-four, the the word Barak is used, and it says this. 
He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. Now, which word or words is Barak here? Kneel down. Yes, Barak means to kneel down. And elsewhere in Psalm 95 it says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now, the word Barak there is kneel before. Kneel down, kneel before. That is the word Barak, which means to bless. So, when it says in that blessing, the Lord bless you, or the Lord Barak you, what is it saying? It means, may the Lord Almighty kneel down or kneel before you. Now, that doesn't mean to say that the Lord is now servient to you in a servant way. No, it's more like in a kneeling before a child kind of way. Getting down to their level, in a sense. It says, may the Lord barack you. Okay? What's the next bit? And keep you. Now, the word is shamar, which means a hedge of protection. Where do we get a hedge of protection mentioned in the Bible? Which book of the Bible does it mention a hedge of protection? And the enemy, the devil, was Job. Yes. In Job, it mentions, the devil mentions, you put a hedge of protection around him. Of course I can't get to him. But if you lower that hedge, then, then he'll curse you when I can get to him. Okay? So, it says, the Lord barack you and keep you, meaning put a hedge of protection around you. Are you getting a picture? What should I do with Benny? Let's, let's wrap my arms around him. What does it say next? Okay, may the Lord brack you and put a hedge of protection around you, turn his face towards you. What else does it say? Be gracious to you and give you peace. Now I would, I would look at it upon the Lord kneels down, puts his arms around you as like a hedge of protection, makes his face shine upon you, like that, be gracious to you, and give you his peace. A bit like what he says in the scripture. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Isn't that a lovely picture of a blessing? A more animated picture? So the Lord, the Father God, kneels down, he hugs, he lifts up, he's face to face, and gives you his peace. Now that word peace is... Shalom, meaning wholeness, protection. Wonderful words. Okay, so, bearing that wonderful animated blessing in mind, let's turn to one of my favourite Father's Day scriptures, shall we? Luke 15, which is the parable of... The prodigal son, yeah, Maynard. Who would you like to donate your chocolate to? Jason. Because Maynard likes you. Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> Prodigal son, Luke 15. Mine is called the parable of the lost son. What title does yours have? The same, the lost son? Yeah, the traditional is the prodigal son, isn't it? Now, the word prodigal means wasteful. And actually, the proper title for this parable, I think, should be the two wasteful sons. 
because actually both sons were wasteful in their relationship with the father. It looks like the first son didn't want to have anything more to do with his family and just wanted off. But the second son as well, he stayed at home. He looked like he wanted to have something to do with his family, but really, when we find out, he had the complete wrong idea about what it means to be in a relationship with his father, as we'll find out. So both, in a sense, were wasteful when it came to what they had and who they had with their relationship with the father. So, Luke 15, verse 11. Now, again, it's entitled the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, but actually, is Jesus' main focus about the son or the sons? No. Who's it about? It is actually about the father. That's what I think anyway. Jesus' purpose is not to point out the mistakes of the son, although they do make mistakes. His real focus is actually to point out the passion of the father, the goodness of father. So, there are two lost parables before this. Anyone name one of them? This is the third parable. Everyone's calling out. Who hasn't had one? Ruth. Okay. Yes, there's, two, there's three parables. First, there's the lost sheep. Then there's the lost coin. And thirdly, there's the parable of the lost son, or as I like to say, the passionate father. So, where are we? What is Jesus' focus in the first two parables? Who does he really focus upon? The lost thing, is it really? He mentions the lost thing, but what is most descriptive about? It's the, it's the shepherd. He goes and seeks out. He then rejoices, doesn't he, and says, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep. There's much rejoicing. And then the, the lady who, who finds a coin, there's much rejoicing as well. So I think, yes, it is about the lost thing, but actually there's more description about the behaviour of the one that goes out to find the shepherd that goes out to find in the celebration, and then the lady who sweeps, puts on a candle to try and find this lost coin. So, yes, it is about the lost thing, but actually our attention should be really drawn to the actions of the shepherd and of the lady lighting the lamp and sweeping. Okay. So, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had, ten, who had two sons. Who's the focus on? The man. Who's the man representing our parable? God the Father. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father slapped him around the head and said, How dare you? No. Jesus is pointing out here that our free will is incredibly important to God. He has given you free will for a reason. Because love is a choice. For love to exist, there has to be a choice. True love is a choice. Do you love your Heavenly Father by choice? So it says he divided his property between them. He didn't argue. He said, fair enough, have your way. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, funnily enough, we've been learning about famines, haven't we? And what two things should this son be asking in his famine experience? Can you remember? What two things should you be asking in a famine or a war or an earthquake or any other thing like that? What what good is God doing and what is God saying to me? What is God asking of me? So what good is God up to and what is God saying to me? That's the two things that this son should be asking, that we should be asking in a famine situation or any situation. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Now, sometimes giving financial or material help to a person who's acting in folly isn't actually the help that they need. Sometimes they need to be allowed, continue to hit rock bottom. And trying to spare a proud person from their inevitable fall might not be the best thing when a fall is actually what they need. It says... He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs, but no one gave him anything. Oh, how we need the wisdom of God, don't we? To know when to help and when not to help. Verse 17. When he came came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's high servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. Now, where's the father in all of this? He's at home, isn't he? He's waiting at home. Now, the parable of the good shepherd finding the lost sheep, I think that speaks of Jesus. Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus, the Son, to seek and save the lost, didn't he? To be lifted up on the cross that all people might be drawn to him. That's the Son's role, to go and seek and save, which he's done. And the parable of the lost coin, where the lady lit a lamp to shine a light and sweep, I think that speaks of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit's work is being the light, lighting people's path towards Jesus and sweeping. Jesus said the Holy Spirit sweeps clean, doesn't he? So, the Jesus is sent to save the, the Holy Spirit, sent to be a light and to sweep with conviction. But the Father, what does he do? He waits at home. I will set out, verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. What do you think are the two main things the Bible says a person needs to employ in order to enter into a relationship with God, but also to sustain a relationship with God? What might be the two things that someone might need to employ to enter into relationship with God, but also to sustain that relationship with God. Faith, Faith, yeah, faith and? Hmm? Humility, yeah, which is in the form of repentance. Faith and repentance are the two things that someone needs to employ to enter into an initial relationship with God, but also to continue in a relationship with God. And faith and repentance are two of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to a person. The Holy Spirit convicts, doesn't he? And the Holy Spirit gives us a measure of faith. Both things 
We need to maintain a relationship with God. Now, it took rock bottom for this particular son to come to his senses and be filled with repentance. And perhaps one of the kindest prayers we can pray for someone, a prodigal, is, Father, please fill them with godly sorrow. Sounds a bit rotten, doesn't it? But the Bible says that worldly sorrow leads to death. It leads to misery. But godly sorrow, it says in 2 Corinthians 7, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Anyone anyone concur that godly sorrow is a beautiful thing? And it actually leads to reconciliation. It leads to forgiveness. It leads to, um, well, no regret. So, verse 20. So, this son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, should we fill in the blank? Compassion? Really? I've, I've, I've written down righteous indignation. Filled with memories of how his son has totally rejected him. Filled with disgust at this worm of a man that used to be his son. No? It actually says, doesn't it, it was filled with compassion. Jesus describes the father seeing his son and being filled with compassion. The father waits and he watches. He doesn't seethe and growl. He doesn't look in anger. He looks out in hope, longing, waiting for you. So it says his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son which in Jesus' day was totally countercultural. Ordinarily, an elder would not undignify themselves and run. But this father, he ran. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Does that sound like the blessing we heard earlier? Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Does that sound like repentance? Is this once quite arrogant man now humble? Yeah. And what does the Bible say God does to the proud? Yes. Opposes. God resists the proud, doesn't he? Where is that? It's James, isn't it? James 4, 5 maybe. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the Humble. Was this man now humble? Can the Father now give him grace? Yes. Okay. So, verse 22, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. And the Father, in verse 22, says, But the Father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, some people say that the best robe meant it was actually the Father's own robe. Bring the best robe means bring my own coat, my own robe, and put it on my son. Now, the Bible says that when we're baptised, which is our outward act of repentance and turning to God, we are clothed with Christ, it says. God literally clothes us, puts the best robe, even better than the one in this story. We're clothed with Christ. And in Isaiah 61, it says how the bride of Christ is arrayed with a robe of, any guesses? Righteousness. Yes, Derek. Dare I throw it? Ready? Okay, whoa. 
a robe of righteousness. So we're, we're clothed we're, with the, the robe or the, the uh, clothed with Christ and ro- arrayed with the robe of righteousness. And he said, put a ring on his finger, which would have meant the signet ring. You know that you kind of, you put in oil, or sorry, not oil, wax, as a sign of authority. Literally, without even any questions, without even letting him see if he's repentant, to see if he's really changed his ways and learned his lesson. And just right away, give him the ring again so that he can have authority and make decisions on my behalf. You remember what Pharaoh did to Daniel in the Old Testament? What did Pharaoh do to Daniel? Appointed him as prime minister, basically, and gave him, yeah, basically gave him his ring and said, there you go, you have my authority now. Isn't that amazing? Instantly. And it says, and sandals on his feet. Anyone know? Anyone here owns sandals? Hands up, who anyone knows no sandals? Yeah, okay. What is Jesus implying here about putting sandals on this son's feet? Basically, you can't be a good Christian unless you wear sandals. <laughs> you, no, no. No. <laughs> No, you, you'll notice that Jesus deliberately left out socks there. <laughs> no, of course, you can be a Christian without wearing sandals, but it, it does help. No. <laughs> the, the prodigal son returned home without any shoes. That's how destitute he'd become. When you came to God, did you have any shoes? Was there anything good about you that could have bought your salvation that could have earned you no you have to admit that you're totally destitute even sandalless you can ask a question do you think that it has to get over the shame and guilt oh good question did you hear that question? Do you think he had to overcome the guilt and the shame before he came to his father? Or do you think he could just come with it? With it? Yeah. I, I, think, I think if you wait, it's like people say, I'm not a good enough Christian yet to be baptised. Actually, baptism is the beginning, isn't it? It's the point where you are cleansed. It's the point where you stand up and say, I can't do this. Only God can wash me clean. So, yes, I think, what if, even if it's not implied here, Jesus would say, absolutely come with all your baggage, because that's the only way you can come. You cannot clean yourself up at all, except by coming to me in the first place. Jackie? Yeah, the big thing for me is that the father believed what the son had said. Yeah. God knows our hearts, doesn't he? He says he looks our hearts and our intentions even when our, our mouths might say something else that's good and bad okay we're nearly there um, in those days only servants and slaves went barefoot so for the father to call for sandals is yet another affirmation that this man was restored not just letting back into my house but he is a son isn't that amazing verse 23 Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Reminds me of the hymn Amazing Grace, doesn't it? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. It tends to point to the fact that the son is way, way out in the field, spends most of his time out there, and we'll find out what his attitude is. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has been back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the answer, the, he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Slaving and orders. Sadly, this son is not aware of the true nature of his father either. His opinion of having to slave away and gain any merit was also robbing him of his choice to know and enjoy his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never give me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I would add, if only you'd been unblinkered long enough to realise and enjoy it. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now Jesus ends the story there. Did the older son come to his senses? How did the younger son and the father get on from that moment on? How did the older son get on with the father from then on? It doesn't say. Hi guys, what have you been making? Have you got boxes? Full of coins? Wow. They look good. Does anyone want to come up and show me? Come on in, come up and show me. Mm. Whoa, thank you. It's full. What are you going to do with these? It's suspended, is it? Is it? Oh, thank you. So that's yours. Don't let me get them mixed up. It's for Father's Day, is it? So what, do you put money in it and you give it to Father or the, that, your dad? The, you got loads of stickers on yours. Thank you. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Right. You got, oh yeah. You got, you got a lovely one, haven't you? Yeah, you got a love heart on it too. Yeah, we're nearly finished. Go and sit down. Maybe, maybe afterwards, when we have finished, you can go around and you can see if anyone put some money in your boxes. Does that sound like a good idea? Yes. Yes? All right. So, we know that Jesus came to seek and save. We know that Holy Spirit came to convict and light the way to Jesus. And we know that the Father, what does he do? He waits. He waits and he sees and he runs and he embraces and he kisses and he kneels 
and he keeps and he lifts up and he puts his face towards you and gives you his peace. Now, kids, we've got a treat because we can sit and we can listen to a song now that Judy's going to sing us about our Heavenly Father.